Welcome to the Littler Labor and Employment Podcast, conversations about employment and labor law issues that impact the workplace. Welcome, everybody. My name is Kevin O'Neill. I'm the Senior Director of the Littler Learning Group. Today, we're going to talk about the importance and some of the intricacies of conducting internal workplace investigations. Joining me is Kathy Cooper Franklin, a shareholder with Littler Mendelssohn's Seattle office with deep knowledge in this area. Welcome, Kathy. Hi, Kevin. Thank you for having me. Delighted. So, Kathy, you've been conducting workplace investigations, training and consulting, along with obviously litigating the issues underlying those uh, for years with numerous companies and even on a global scale. In general, could you talk about the role that an effective workplace investigation can play in an organization's well-being? Absolutely, Kevin. Having an effective investigation and a consistent investigation process can play a very important role in a company's culture. Employees want consistency, they want fairness, and they talk about it. And if HR departments have an investigative process that is fair and that is consistent, it is going to encourage people to speak up in the, in the culture in the company. And many, many companies now are trying to encourage a speak-up culture where people feel comfortable coming to HR. And if the investigative process is fair and consistent, that is even more likely um, to happen. So is it your experience that when there's awareness that uh, a speak-up culture is not only promoted but that is, is actually in place that there's more kind of seamlessness in how people come forward and how people will bring issues up uh, through the HR chain? Um, very correct, Kevin. If people feel that the investigative process is fair, if they feel that they can speak up without retaliation or being victimized, then they are much more likely to come forward. And that is something that you know all of our companies want people to do is come forward um, and feel comfortable coming forward. And it's it's difficult for employees to report misconduct or report bad things that are happening to them or others. So to me, it's key to the culture of the company. So put me in the shoes of somebody who mm-hmm. might be uh, going through an investigation process. Could you walk us through the basic stages of an investigation? Absolutely, Kevin. I, the stages of an investigation, I would say there's uh, about... Uh, six of them. And the first is investigation triggers. Organizations have to figure out what triggers an investigation. And in my mind, uh, we should have written guidelines to track this, these different stages. Uh, So, for instance, if a supervisor has notice of a misconduct or a bad act, that triggers an investigation. So companies should be on all on the same page and on board with what behaviors, whether it's something that comes online, something that comes through email, something that comes through a supervisor, that that triggers an investigation and then where it goes to in the company. So is it going to the supervisor to investigate? Hopefully not. It's going up to HR and that supervisor needs to recognize that there there is an escalation process, which brings me to stage number two, which is really having a triage and escalation process in, you know, in the investigation process, which means figuring out what the allegation is. Are there safety issues? Are there uh, legal issues? Are there urgency issues? Um, what kind of complexity it has? And this is, you know, really the second stage of the investigation is to triage and understand what the allegation actually is. So I basically, when I do training, I'm talking to people about 
looking to see what the needle in the haystack looks like. What are we going to be looking for? What are we investigating? And to go with triage, we also have, I think it's very important, this is always a challenge for companies, to have an appropriate escalation process. Where does the supervisor go? Where does HR go? When does HR need to go to legal? When does HR need to go up to the VP of HR? And this is something that I'm pretty adamant about putting in writing so that the right hand knows what the left hand is doing um, in the escalation process. And it's key and it's been a challenge for many of our clients in the past that who don't have appropriate escalation process or maybe they have them but people don't know about them. The third stage is the planning stage of the investigation. Planning and really assignment. Who's doing the investigation? Who's the appropriate person in, in the company to do it? So for instance, you know, if it's a sexual harassment case, you typically HR is the pr- appropriate body to do the investigation. But lots of times the allegations come in like a mixed bag, right? It comes in, there might be some harassment issues, there might be some code of conduct issues. So maybe, you know, you want a person from the compliance uh, department working with the HR person. Maybe there's a safety issue, maybe there's a security issue. So you really want to assign it to the right person once you analyze what the, and, and triage what the allegation is. And then you do the planning. You figure out what you're going to be looking for, what kind of evidence you're going to be looking for, ability to preserve the evidence that might be necessary. You know, everybody knows that a lot of information comes through today on emails. And most emails are going to be around forever. However, our IT friends in IT are always more happy if we try to preserve these emails before we trigger, you know, let people know that we're looking for them and then they get deleted. So being able to identify what you're looking for, how to preserve the evidence you're looking for, and addressing all those technical and, you know, logistical items up front. The fourth stage of the investigation is the actual investigation, doing, you know, collecting the data, reviewing the data, starting to develop the fact pattern, and then conducting the interviews. And this is what we need to, you know, typically train on when we when we do investigations of best practices on how to collect the data, how to develop the fact pattern, and how to do the proper interviews. Then we come to the next stage, which is really doing the written report. Now, I know nobody likes doing a written report, but the EEOC and the courts really need them, and they really want them. And if we do, companies who don't have written reports are always questioned and kind of backpedaling to show that they've done an appropriate uh, investigation and that it's been prompt and thorough. So having a proper report is, is key. And the last stage, Kevin, would be the remediation stage, which, you know, after there is, a, you know, the factual findings in the report, it kind of goes over to management or, or the people that are going to address mediation. To me, the remediation stage isn't really what the fact finder is going to be doing, but it's got to be part of the investigation. The whole piece about following up with the witnesses, following up with the complainant, letting people know what's going on so they don't think that nothing has happened. Kathy, that's a really detailed explanation. It seems to reduce a, a complex issue into really sensible structure. So tell us as we're navigating those different stages uh, from an HR investigation or an internal investigation point of view, what are the biggest challenges that HR personnel face in conducting an internal investigation? Well, I think the first challenge that companies face is they don't have appropriate written guidelines. And I'll tell you, Kevin, I've been practicing for 30 years now, and 30 years ago, as a litigator, I used to tell my clients to get rid of their guidelines because no one followed the guidelines. But now coming full circle 30 years you know, later, 
and I'll say, let's say, 25 years later, because for the last five years in my career, I've been really preaching to the clients to get written processes to have to, so that's consistent for fairness for you know best practices to be instilled in the investigative team. So I think that's one challenge. People don't, you know, they're afraid of reducing this to writing. And I'm a big proponent of less is more, but I think guidelines are very important. And we spend a lot of our time helping clients now that, you know, they come on the, this bandwagon to, to prepare them. I think one of the second challenge is, is just understanding the escalation process and communicating, even if we have written guidelines, you know, the different departments in an organization, whether it's ethics and compliance, security, safety, you know, audit, they all have to be on the same page on, you know, what gets escalated to who. If, you know, a lot of companies struggle with wanting to have an attorney-client privilege and you can't do attorney-client privilege at the end of the investigation, right? You got to decide that front. And so if the issue is a legal one, if it's really sensitive, if it's, you know, relating to high-level managers or relating to the brand of the company, you know, typically the lawyers like to get involved and perhaps put a privilege on the investigation. And that has to happen up front. So that's the second challenge. And um, probably I think the third challenge is going to really be when HR is doing the investigation, acting like a true fact finder and not like an HR person. So, you know, I always use the the term, and and you sometimes laugh at this, but taking off your HR hat and putting on your investigator hat, and I really think that's a huge challenge. And I've I've done training, as you know, you know, hundreds or even a thousand times on this, and and HR has a hard time becoming just the fact finder, going in without assumptions, going in without bias. Even if you know the people, you have to be able to go in and not make pre- you know, judgments or assumptions at the beginning. So I think that's a challenge, getting that HR hat off and putting on your, you know, your investigator hat where you are a true fact finder. It's kind of a version of the poker face that one must convey while they're conducting investigations so that if some revelation comes out that seems otherwise a shocking or blatantly in violation of a policy which you as an HR professional or sworn to uphold and enforce, suddenly you've had somebody blurt something out that suggests a a big-time violation has occurred. You don't want to suddenly take your investigator's hat on and put on your HR hat and start, what, reprimanding them? Right, reprimanding them in the middle of the investigation. Or, you know, someone's telling you a story or something really bad that happened, and you start, you know, saying, oh, I'm so sorry that that's going on. You can be completely empathetic and let people, you know, and show and be sensitive to it. But we don't want to be in there, you know, with a lot of emotion. We have to go in there, hard as it is, you know, with that poker face on. So you've named six stages. You've talked about three major challenges, and it sounds like there's many more. Obviously, training can bring a lot to the table to make us better suited to conduct the right kind of internal investigation. Tell us what recommendations you have for investigation skills building along with training. Well, when Littler does our training. We spend a lot of time working on investigation skill building, and not that people um, are terrible at asking questions, but there's always room for improvement. I, I even when I do investigations, I, I can tell when there's room for improvement. And what we want to be able to do when we do interviews is, you know, be able to really dig deep. And again, lots of times HR isn't comfortable because we're really sensitive issues, but we need to find our job as investigator is a fact finder. 
and we have to dig deep. That's just a part of doing that job. I think also in we're, we're digging deep, we're getting sensitive information, but always being able to teach, to treat the employee with respect and dignity. If we're going to, you know, be in a, an HR team that does fair and appropriate investigations, treating people with respect and dignity, even when you're asking the hard questions, is just going to be key. Active listening is important, making sure that Lots of uh, HR people are like us lawyers, Kevin. They like to talk a lot, right? And we have to learn how to listen and be active listeners and good listeners when we're doing an investigation. So, you know, sometimes we're thinking about the next question, but we're not really listening to the answer, which can hold a lot of, you know, valuable information. Something we do in training is is the funnel technique where we get you know, the investigators to ask open-ended questions, and those are set up so that we encourage the witness to talk. And these are, you know, recommendations that we teach all the time for conducting a, an effective investigation and interview. We've talked a lot about the HR focus in conducting internal investigations. Are there times within the, uh, the HR role where an investigation concern arises and it might be a better consideration to outsource the investigation to a third party? Well, yes. If the HR department is small and the HR people really know, let's say if it's a high-level manager and the HR person is friends with the high-level manager, there's obviously going to be a sense of bias. And even if there isn't bias, there's going to be a perception of bias. So, you know, if it's a small team and, you know, there's friendships going on or long-term relationships and, and there isn't going to be a perception of objectivity, then it's a good time to outsource it. Or if the HR person or nobody in the company has the subject matter expertise. So for example, some companies might not have an ethics and compliance department and the allegations might be uh, high-level ethics issues, and then you might want to, such as like bribery or kickbacks or cooking the books or whatever it is, and you might want to bring in someone with more of a financial expertise that's able to, to look for things maybe an HR person isn't able to. So, you know, those are two circumstances where I think that oftentimes people do outsource the investigation. And you referenced earlier the uh, the availability of the attorney-client privilege if, if it's approached in the right way. Is that also something that one can avail themselves of through an internal investigation if they strategize about it correctly? And or is it preferable to go through a third party if your high-level concern is to maintain the attorney-client privilege? That's such a complex question, Kevin, but I'll try to give it a go here. Yeah, absolutely. An in-house counsel can assert a privilege over an investigation, but they I think we all have to be very careful because there's a lot of new case law on attorney-client privileges and I think we you know most HR investigations in my mind should not be covered by an attorney-client privilege because at the end of the day, Kevin, if the e, if they get, you know, an EEOC charge or we have to or we go to court we're going to have to waive the privilege because the investigation is part of the affirmative defense. It's part of the defense for the company to say we did a proper investigation and we took appropriate remedial action. And sometimes if we attorney-client privilege it, people learn bad habits. They think, oh, I can say anything or write anything and it won't get disclosed because of my attorney's on the email. Well, sometimes when we waive the privilege, all that goes out the window. 
And, you know, sometimes attorneys think that waiving a privilege is a voluntary thing because they can, we can always waive the privilege. Well, sometimes you can and you do voluntarily waive the privilege when you, the investigation becomes an issue in the case. But sometimes if the investigation comes at issue, we, we have to release the privilege and waive the privilege. The privilege is waived. So we have to be very careful about it. And attorneys have to be careful if they're in-house how much they get involved. I mean, they can be involved at the beginning and they can be involved at the end, but they can't be involved and start getting, you know, doing the witness interviews unless they want to become a, a, a witness. So those are some of the complex issues. Now, certainly lawyers, in-house lawyers are called to do some of these investigations or attorney-client privilege at the beginning, but we always want to keep in mind that Again, the privilege can be waived, so we want to do the investigation in the right way, i.e., not making legal conclusions and and making legal, you know, legal opinions that we w might not want other people to see later on. In case we do either choose to waive the privilege or the privilege gets waived, does that make well, sense? It, yes, it, it is. It, it's just a complex web of strategies and skills and considerations. It's very interesting to hear how you walk through it and the structure that you recommend and impose. In your approach, I think I'd be remiss. And that's why to circle back, that's why escalation process is so important. So that if HR does have, let's say, a high-level case, they talk to legal counsel up front. And up front, legal counsel and HR decide, is this going to be attorney-client privilege? And then put the parameters around it. Think about if it's going to be attorney-client privilege, what kind of things um, are we going to put in email, are we going to put in writing, and what aren't kind of things are we not going to be putting in writing? Because at the end of the day, the privilege might be waived. So I think it's really important at the beginning planning before anything is done is to, you know, when it is a legal issue or a compliance issue, to escalate it up to our in-house counsel or external counsel if you don't have in-house counsel and make that decision up front. I think those final points are really important and helpful to our listeners in terms of making some of the finer point considerations they have to make in, in determining how are you going to go about conducting an investigation. That, that often reveals itself as a very important factor. And I was going to say, I, I think I'd be remiss because I've participated in trainings with you, Kathy, and, and having you briefly describe your approach to internal workplace investigations training, I think would be enlightening to our listening audience because you take a very unique approach in a very engaging manner that tends to have a very high level of impact and sustainability. So talk to us a little bit about your approach to internal investigations training. Well, Kevin, I think, you know, this training, the, the classes that we do on investigations is my absolute favorite to teach because I think HR or compliance or legal gets a huge return on investment by going into these trainings. We typically do a day or two-day session where we are very interactive. We start with talking about the process and those six stages, not only do I talk about them, but I actually have a, a very uh, cool illustration and we walk through that illustration. It's kind of like following the yellow brick road of investigation. And we walk through that um, map and when we talk about you know, the different stages. And then we also talk about the role of the investigator. But then after a little bit of lecture, maybe an hour or so, we actually, you know, have a hotline complaint or have a complaint come on a video, depends on, on what kind of investigation training we're doing and to whom. And, and we typically always customize these to the industry. 
so in a hospital setting, it would be about hospital people, and you know, different manufacturer setting would be about manufacturing people. We typically customize it, and then we bring in actors, and and we bring in documents, and we when we sit, we do a little bit of a lecture on the planning exercise, and then we actually make the people plan the investigation, and we give them some fabulous tools for planning, and the same thing with the interview. We give them great tools. We give them a little bit of uh, teaching points and practices, and then the actors come in, and we have a cadre of amazing actors. They're all professional actors who have worked with us for a long time, and they role play, and they, they are the complainant. They are the mean manager. They are the person who can't talk because they're crying too much, and, uh, you know, we have several different scenarios, and we actually critique, we get people to do the interviews, and then we give them very constructive criticism or ways, best practices to do things differently. And I say critique, but I will tell you in all the reviews that we get, people like that part the best, right? They love in time getting feedback on their investigative, you know, or interview skills. And then at the end of the, the class, we do a good section on report writing because that's something that is really my pet peeve and the reasons I developed this course way back when, when I've seen so many inappropriate documentation in my career as a litigator and it comes up as evidence in the court case and the evidence isn't going to be used by my client, the defense, it's being used by the plaintiff because it says really good things in, in the documentation, not for us, but for you know, the plaintiff. So I think that uh, report writing and documentation is really important stage in the in the process and I love talking about it and getting people to get really good habits and, and not, you know, even if they had bad habits in the past, they correct them, and uh, it's very fulfilling as a teacher, and I think very fulfilling for the, the participants of this class. It's just a great mix of experiential learning and substantive information, in my experience, having uh, participated in some of those trainings with you. And uh, the unique approach, I think, is particularly suited for this topic because it involves uh, both a combination of deep-level knowledge that the investigator-slash-HR person depending on which hat they're wearing, when has to have at their ready disposal, and a, a kind of facility to be able to uh, move through stages and react and bring different skill sets to different challenges within either a given stage of an investigation or throughout. I mean, just being able to shift witness to witness to how you approach a witness interview is its own skill set. Yeah, no, people really, really enjoy this class. In fact, I had a client. Remember, I recognize your name, but she had taken this class like 12 years ago, and she remembered it. Now she's one of the heads of HR at a certain organization and just called me up because she said she learned so much in the class. And that was just made my day to have her even remember the class and remember me and remember the Littler training on this. So uh, I think people are very fulfilled by going through this training. As I said, it's a huge ROI for, for participants. Well, you've made our day in sharing your knowledge of internal investigations, practices, and consulting and training tips and skill-building strategies with us today. So I'm deeply appreciative of that, Kathy. And for anybody who wants any further information on what we cover regarding internal investigations, training, and in general, what Littler Mendelssohn can do to help your employment practices, please visit us on littler.com. And through that website, you can also contact Kathy directly. Thanks again, Kathy. Thank you, Kevin. My pleasure. Bye-bye.
The purpose of this program is to provide helpful information for employers, addressing the latest developments in labor and employment relations. It is not a substitute for experienced legal counsel and does not provide legal advice or attempt to address the numerous factual issues that arise in any employment-related issue. To discover other labor and employment podcast series from Littler, the largest global employment and labor law practice, visit littler.com slash podcasts.